You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. Glad I get to be with you again this morning. Merry Christmas, everyone. I'm excited that we get to celebrate together. And I want to celebrate a little bit by telling you about a camp I used to go to up in the Catskills. It was a Bible camp. I loved most of it. I, I mean, I loved it. Like, I loved the friends I made there. I have lifelong friends from that place. We slept in these dorms, and they were like these giant cabin dorms, and they were made of reclaimed wood. And so uh, they were made like so poorly that whenever it rained, you would just get soaked all night long. It was awful, and yet amazing at the same time. Some of my best memories happen at this particular camp. And it was at this particular camp that I got some of my most destructive theological teachings as well. Good times, right? I remember one in particular. Um, Remember, it was by someone named Pastor Wayne. And I got to tell you, Pastor Wayne may have been the most boring pastor I've ever heard in my entire life. I mean, there's there's some real legitimate truth to that. Um, But ironically... I remember this one message he gave more than any other, and it was a message on whether you were salty enough. Um, Any of y'all who ever grow up in the church, you know what I mean when I say, are you salty enough? Others of you are going, what? Um, It comes from this verse, and it comes from this verse in uh, Matthew, and it says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, I'm going to tell you why I remember about this salty enough message. I remember because I was terrified after hearing this message. I definitely didn't think I was salty enough. In fact, I was pretty certain I was going to be trampled under people's feet. I was scared to death of this. Why? Because I didn't do any of the good Christian things. I remember I was 13 years old and I was told, hey, don't drink, don't smoke, don't dance, don't curse, don't lie, don't make out with girls, at least until you're 16, don't have sex before marriage, all those things. And now here's the deal. I wasn't really doing any of those things. Yeah, I had a girlfriend and we kissed a couple times. I I don't know. I guess... That was sinful enough. But regardless, I was like, I'm not worthy enough. I'm not worthy. I don't know if I'm salty enough. And so I remember spending the next couple weeks really kind of strategically thinking about the ways I could be saltier so I wouldn't be trampled. And one of those ways was when my friend invited me to go with him to Mass. I said, okay, I'll do that. I'll go with you to Mass. And growing up on Long Island, Catholic Mass is everywhere. And it's possible in my experience, and I don't want to say this for everybody, but possible that in my experience... Catholic Mass was more boring than Pastor Wayne, okay? But I went, and I went anyway because I thought, hey, I want to be salty. It's not going to hurt me to get another good message in there, right? And so what I ended up doing was listening to this priest talk about Mother Mary. And the priest talked about why she was perfect because we could not, we could not acknowledge her as the mother of Jesus if she wasn't perfect. And so we talked about how she was this incredibly obedient woman and how she was docile. And we talked about how she was a little bit naive, maybe. We talked about how she was simply a vessel for Jesus because you couldn't be a real woman. I mean, come on, real women had, you know, they had bodies and they were attractive and, and, and you know, 16 years old make out and all those rules, whatever. And, and so Mary was this perfect, docile obedient, salty, salty vessel, which God uses, right? Which God uses uh, to bring about Jesus. And so I always thought about Mary as the salty person that I should look up to. 
This is the person that I need to pattern my life after. So yeah, be a little obedient. Be a little docile. Be a little naive. Just be a vessel. Don't, don't, don't be yourself. Don't be true. And I remember reading Mary's Magnificat, which to me is one of the most joyful noises in all of scripture. And I read the first part and I read it through this lens of this docile, obedient, but salty Mary. And it says this, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now all generations will call me blessed. And I wanted, I wanted to be called blessed. I wanted to be salty enough. I wanted to be the one that was like Mary, perfect. Was I worthy enough for that? Would I be a vessel to be used by Christ? And I, I, I it was like this existential 13-year-old crisis. Any of y'all have those existential 13-year-old crises, like growing up? Yeah, yeah. And then I just stopped caring. I stopped caring about whether I was salty enough. Like, like Pastor Wayne didn't scare me anymore. And like that, that, that wasn't happening. And I stopped caring because it seemed to me that the Christianity that I grew up with was so impossible, was so impossible that no one was worthy enough, that no one was salty enough. And so I kind of gave up because not only like did I have all these rules that I couldn't do this, 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 and this, but then I had a, another set of unwritten rules that said I had to believe this and I had to exclude this person and I had to get angry with that person and I had to call that person a heretic and I was in danger of being a heretic should I question and I asked a lot of questions. I asked a ton of questions and literally I was told on a couple different occasions, be quiet, be quiet. And so of course I was like, well, if I can't be worthy enough and, and honestly, I don't want to exclude people, then I'm just going to throw the whole thing away. That's probably what makes more sense to me. And so I understood what I was against, but I didn't know what I was for. Like this, this was still something I wanted. This was still something that, that, that I wanted to be integral in my life. I knew I was against parts, but what parts of it were I f was I for? Were I for? Was I for? Were I for? I don't even know. Yeah, anyway. And I was lost for a bit. And when I say lost, not lost, like, oh my God, I lost my way and I need Jesus and now I'm perfect again. No, I mean, I just decided like, if this doesn't make sense, I'm just gonna walk away from it, right? And I think that's another thing that a lot of us have done. We've walked away from faith that doesn't make sense. We're not worthy enough. We're not salty enough. And, and if the definition of being worthy enough and the definition of being salty enough is to exclude and to hurt and not question and just be vessels and be perfect and docile and obedient and maybe a little bit naive, then that's not what we want to do. That's, that's not something that we get excited about. I wasn't excited about it until, until I, I had some mentors, some incredible mentors. And you know what those incredible mentors taught me? They taught me to get excited about Christianity again. They taught me about what I could be for, right? I could be for justice for the first time. I was able to read scripture through the lens of justice. And a couple of years ago, I remember preaching on this with some of you. It's like the time that like my eyes were opened and I got to read amazing books and I got to, to, to learn about some amazing theologians who weren't like old dead white guys. They were people who were alive. They were people of color. They were people who were speaking from places on the margins and they were said, you know what it looks like to be worthy? It looks like justice and setting the captives free and changing the lives of the oppressed. And Jesus was a liberator. And I was like, I can get behind this. 
I love this. This is something I could be for. I'm for it. And I think we see a little bit of that DNA in Forefront, right? We, we see a little bit of that transition for me. And the best part, the most beautiful part of this, is, is when you get to open your eyes to this kind of justice-oriented gospel. Well, then Mary, Mary becomes, she becomes pretty amazing. She becomes a leader and a revolutionary and a teacher. And she, she I mean, like, she, like, all out, right? In fact, when you look at Mary, Mary says these words in the Magnificat. She says this. She says, God has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. God has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich God has sent away empty. And God has helped God's servant Israel in remembrance of God's mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to God's offspring forever. And I'm like, yeah, this Mary, this Mary is worthy, right? This Mary is salty. What is she like? You know what she's like? She is like a freedom rider. Mary was around. She would be the ones leading protests all throughout this city. This is a Mary that, like, is a conductor on the Underground Railroad. I love what Nadia Boltz Weber says. She says, this Mary, this Mary is Che Guevara, right? Like, we should all be wearing a picture of Mary in a red beret, like, on our T-shirts, because that's what we've done. But, but anyway, this is who this Mary is, and I can get behind it because it flips things on its head. Now it's not about who do we exclude and who do we hurt. It's about who are we setting free. It's about who are we providing grace to who hasn't seen grace before. And who are we bringing equity to who hasn't experienced equity. And that, that is being salty. That's being salty. I like this Mary. This Mary's a leader, a pastor, a life changer, right? She's salty. I want it to be salty like Mary. I still want to be salty like Mary. And so the question that I have for us is how do we get there? How do we be salty like Mary? How are we worthy like Mary, right? If she's going to be this kind of person, I want to be that too. And you don't have to be a pastor to figure this out. Because the truth of the matter is we do a quick Google search and we know that Mary wasn't allowed to be that preacher. She wasn't allowed to be that, 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 uh, that revolutionary, that history maker. She wasn't allowed to be the teacher or the freedom rider. She wasn't allowed to be those things 2,000 years ago in ancient Near East culture. And yet she is. So how did she get there? Well, let's talk a little bit about how she got there. What we do know about Mary is Mary was probably somewhere between 13 and 16 years old. That perfect makeout age, right? Yeah, according to, to Pastor Wayne. Anyway... And, and what else about Mary? I'm sorry. What else about Mary? Mary was engaged. She was engaged to a man, Joseph, and Joseph comes from the line of David. And what that signals to us and what that signaled to people reading scripture at the time is if you come from the line of David, you are an incredibly religious individual, which means you were salty in all the right ways and worthy in all the quote unquote right ways. And so if you're salty and worthy in all the ways that would have made Pastor Wayne really happy then you also have a pretty hard line when it comes to the law. And that really hard line when it comes to the law means that Mary, who is betrothed to Joseph, if she ever steps out of line, if she ever has relations with another individual or another human being, she's in trouble. And not just like a little bit of trouble, she is supposed to be taken out and stoned. And so Joseph knows that she is supposed to be taken out and stoned, right? This is something that, 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 that he knows. It's something that Mary knows, right? She's good, docile, perfect, whatever the case may be. 
And knowing all these things, an angel shows up. And what does the angel say? Well, the angel says this, Greetings, O favored one. I like that. I'm going to read that one more time. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And then I love this, right? Because it says, But Mary was greatly troubled at the saying. She was greatly troubled about being called the favored one. And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. There's that word again, favor, right? And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him to the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, why was she greatly troubled? Why was it so hard for her to imagine that she was favored? Well, I already told you part of it, right? Part of it is that she... She was betrothed to a religious man. She knew the law. There's nothing, there's nothing of being favored there. And for thousands upon thousands of years, thousands upon thousands of years, Mary was told that the Messiah was going to come from a kingly line. It was going to come from a prominent line. The Messiah was going to come from a line of someone with status, who was someone who, who you know, was a social up-and-comer or established as a social light, right? That's who the Messiah was going to be born through. Not someone like Mary. Mary is poor. Mary literally lives in the equivalent of like rural Alabama. Okay, she, she's from nowhere. She's a nobody, quote unquote, right? That, that's who she is. And so in her worldview, she's like, how am I the one that's going to do this? And I, I don't know how to convey to us the craziness of this worldview. Like, like, like It's like if you know something and you know it so well, and all of a sudden you find out something completely different. You know how we all celebrate Santa Claus here? At least I still celebrate Santa Claus. Imagine tomorrow, a historian came to us and said, hey, there never really was a historical Santa Claus, a Saint Nick. Um, in fact, really the person that we used to, that we should be you know, um, celebrating is actually Nick the truck driver who comes and brings like canned hams to you on Christmas day. Like. Like, we would go, wait, wait, what? Like, it makes no, it's outlandish, right? Like, oh, when you go to the mall, I'm going to sit on Nick the truck driver's lap and get a can of Spam. Like, if that sounds outlandish and like, where did that come from? Then that's what it sounds like to Mary when the angel tells her that she is going to birth the Messiah. It sounds just as outlandish and just as like head scratching and like, what is happening? And so if you're in that position where you are called favored, what do you do? Because the truth of the matter is, so many of us, myself included, we've been told that we're not favored. We've been told that we're not worthy. We believe a certain way. We ask too many questions. We identify a certain way. We live in a country that has routinely made it, uh, made it a, a daily thing to hurt us, to oppress us, to pass laws that affect our families and affect our history. We do not feel favored. And all of a sudden somebody comes around and tells us, hey, wait a second, you are favored and you are worthy of this. What do we say? That's not what I've been told. That's not what I've experienced. That's, you know, I've been told that I should believe these things and exclude these people and follow these rules. And that's not for me. I'm, I'm not worthy in the way that you want me to be worthy. I'm not favored in the way you want me to be favored. And what does Mary do? What does Mary do? Mary says this, she says, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. 
let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So basically, Mary gets news that just would throw us all off completely and send us all to therapy for years. And she says yes to it. She just says yes. And not only does she say yes to it, but she becomes a pastor. She becomes a preacher. Because Joseph, remember Joseph? Joseph says yes to this as well. And remember how I talked about Joseph being that good, um, you know, salty, worthy person who, who Pastor Wayne would have loved? Right? He still is that person. And so for him, he's sitting there and he's going, okay, now do I actually kill Mary? Because that's what I'm supposed to do if I'm worthy and salty. But I'm too nice of a guy, so maybe I should just divorce her quietly. And then scripture says, but after he considered this. Now, I want to stop right there. I love the word considered. You know what the word considered is in the Greek? The word considered in the Greek is thymos. And you know what thymos means? <laughs> it means wrath. So basically what the scripture is saying is saying, after Joseph had, had been so pissed off and so angry and so upset, he finally settled down and he knew he had to make a decision. And that makes me feel a little bit better, actually, because if I found out that my wife was pregnant from the Holy Spirit, I'd probably be pretty thymos as well. I'd probably be pretty pissed. I'd probably be like, what? No, no, wait, what's going on? But what we have is we have Mary who says yes. And then she preaches to Joseph. And Joseph says yes. Says, I'm not going to divorce you. I'm not going to stone you. In fact, I need you to come with me as we go back to my hometown for the census. Because the truth of the matter is, I don't want other people to hurt you either. I want you to stay protected. Right? That's what happens. And he believes in his heart of heart, even though it's so absolutely ridiculous, that Mary is indeed favored. That Mary is indeed worthy. And Joseph follows Mary's lead. I love it. Our first woman preacher is right there in the midst of Jesus' birth story. Can we stop? Can we absolutely stop saying women aren't fit to preach and lead? It's ridiculous, people. It's in our Christmas story. But this is my best part, and this is my favorite part. So I want us to listen carefully because what I'm about to say is, is going to sound like one of the most boring things ever, one of the tritest things ever, and yet I think it's the most important thing ever. To me, it's the, it's the, the crux of this Christmas story. Do you know... Do you know what makes Mary a preacher, a revolutionary, a history maker? Do you know why Joseph followed her as well? Do we know why? It's not because she was docile and perfect and obedient. She wasn't any of those things. Mary was the history maker, the preacher, the, the, the revolutionary, because she accepted the fact that she was favored by God. I know. It sounds super trite, but it's super important. Maybe the real outrageous and life-changing thing that Mary did was simply trust the fact that she had favor with God, even though she was poor, even though she fit none of the Messiah criteria, even though she was from like, you know, the equivalent of rural Alabama, even though she was someone who was just this teenager who was engaged to be married, she accepts the fact that she truly is worthy enough, and that she truly has favor from God. You see, I'm going to read this. We don't earn favor from God trying to be worthy of God's love. We're favored when we trust that we have always been worthy of God's love. We don't earn favor by trying to be worthy of God's love. 
We earn favor when we trust that we've always been worthy of God's love. God didn't call Mary to be anything different than who she already was. And God was very intentional in choosing her. And the beauty of this Christmas story is that God doesn't call us to be any different than who we are. And God calls us to be history makers and revolutionaries and life changers and teachers and preachers just like Mary. That's the truth. The truth of the matter is daily, daily we are invited to the same history making that Mary was invited into. Daily we're invited into it. And daily we are asked to go be that leader, to go preach, to go be extraordinary. And what we get to do is we get to have the same courage and we get to say yes in the same ways, right? That's what we get to do. We get to do that because that is a way that we reimagine worship. Now it's funny, normally what I do is I'll say, hey, we're in our Make a Joyful Noise series and we are talking about our church's values. In fact, we did that last Sunday where Sarah preached a brilliant sermon on our, on our first church value, the value of uncommon kinship. And here, like at the very end of my message, I'm going to tell you, hey, by the way, I'm preaching on worship reimagined. We are reimagining the way that we worship. And to reimagine means we start. We start by recognizing that we don't have to try to be worthy. We're already worthy. We're already favored. That is the place that we start in worship. That is worship reimagined. We are not worshiping so that we are better or so that we can get to a place of worthiness. We don't worship so that we can do all the right things and exclude all the right people and follow all the right laws. No, we, we, we start with worship simply because we say yes to God and accept the fact that we are favored. Right? That's amazing. So what does Worship Reimagined look like in our church? Some of y'all know two of our former pastors. We had a pastor, Jen Fisher, and another pastor, Mira Joyner, who were both incredible people and are still doing incredible things. But both of them started out with careers that were not even close to being a part of church or about being pastors or any of that. One was an actor. Jen was an actor. Mira was in education. And I remember asking them both, hey, would you want to come on staff at our church? Would you want to do that? And both of them were like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Why would you ask me to do this? I don't have any experience. I don't have any knowledge about this. And I was like, yeah, good. Me neither, really. So let's do this together, okay? You know, have the confidence of a mediocre white man, right? And, and so they said yes. And they said yes, and, and it was amazing to watch them both grow into their pastorhood, into their pastoring. It was amazing to watch them become leaders of leaders. They both grew into um, um, just exploring scripture in such a way that they both became great preachers. And because they decided to say yes and continued to say yes, not only were they pastors at Forefront, but Jen Fisher has just finished her Master's of Divinity and is going to start a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Mira is in the middle of getting her master's in divinity down in D.C. and has plans to be a church planter and leader as well because those are the things that happen when we believe that we are already worthy. We say yes even though it doesn't make any sense to say yes. And so what are you afraid to say yes to? What are you afraid to say yes to? Say it anyway. 
Say it knowing that God already sees you as favored. Say it in, in such a way where there's nothing else you have to do to earn God's worthiness. You are already worthy. If you can say yes, and if you can do that, that is worship reimagined. The professional livelihoods of both Jen and Mira, that is worship reimagined. For us to be an affirming church, that is worship reimagined. To, be, uh, to worship reimagined is the voice that tells you that you are loved, even when you don't feel like you should be loved because of everything that you've done. Worship reimagined tells us that women should lead, they should preach, they should be out there starting churches. Worship reimagined tells us, guys, follow the lead of women. They're doing incredible things, right? Like That's what worship reimagined looks like. Worship imagine says say yes to maybe worshiping in other languages besides English. English doesn't corner the market. Worship reimagined means that we we say yes to maybe not you know reading just dead white theologians. Maybe we're reading about different cultures and traditions. Maybe we read about others with different perspectives. That is worship reimagined. It's saying yes to those things even though you go wait this hasn't ever been in my worldview. It doesn't matter. It wasn't in Mary's worldview either. And yet she was the history maker and the life changer and the revolutionary. And God is calling us to be exactly the same. That is worship reimagined. For some of you, worship reimagined is God telling you that you are way more loved than you've ever thought. And you don't have to be afraid. Don't be afraid, right? For some of us, it's, it's that voice that says, hey, I'm allowed to take communion. I know I might've been excluded before, but I'm allowed to do it now. That's worship reimagined. I'm allowed to lead. I'm allowed to serve. I'm allowed to volunteer, even though I don't know if I necessarily believe in this Christianity on the daily. That's okay. That's worship reimagined. Worship reimagined asks us to say yes, even if it's not in our worldview and it makes us feel off kilter and we've never been allowed to say yes before. We get to say yes now. That is worship reimagined. And so as I talk about Worship, re- worship Reimagined, did I mention that this is also a fundraiser? Did I tell you that? Did I mention that to you? It is. It's a fundraiser. And we're trying to raise $40,000 for Forefront at the end of the year. Now, I'm happy to tell you that we have about $2,114 or I'm sorry, $20,114 already. We're more than halfway there. We've got 11 days to go. That's actually really good, you guys. We're doing it. We are doing it. And I know last week, Sarah knew when she preached on Uncommon Kinship, she talked about some of the ways we want to use that money. I want to talk about it from a little bit of a larger scale. When we think of worship reimagined, I think of Mary. The way that I see us using this money is simply keeping our doors open so that we create space for all the Marys in the world that haven't had a chance to say yes yet. We're creating space for everyone who says, wow, this kind of Christianity has never been in my worldview, but I'm willing to say yes to that. And for that to take place, we have to create a space that allows people to deconstruct. We have to create a space that allows for people to be uncomfortable. We have to create a space that allows for people to question. We got to create a space that allows people to say, well, I've always been taught it looks like this. But the Holy Spirit is moving in such a way where it's saying, hey, you are favored. Hey, you can say yes and you can be a history maker too, just like Mary. And when you give to the church, you're allowing space for hundreds if not thousands of people to experience that divine process. To know that they're worthy enough. To know that they're loved enough. And to know that just like Mary, they get to say yes too. That's what happens when you give. When you give, 
there are so many who's, who've told me your stories and you've told stories about feeling like you weren't favored. And it's the little simple message that, that you are. You are. And so we get to continue to give that message. We get to continue to tell others, hey, you are favored. And I say this all the time. We have to hear a positive thing nine times before we believe it. So let's all start saying that from one another over and over and over again. You are loved. You are favored. There's nothing else you have to do to be salty. You are already salty enough. Pastor Wayne was wrong, boring and wrong. And when you give to our church, we get to create space for people to hear that nine times, 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times. You are loved and you are worthy. That's what your dollars do. The truth is we're all on a journey. We're all on a journey like Mary where we have this worldview. We think we might be locked into it. And the truth is that God is calling us to greater things. And there's nothing that you have to do except to say yes and to believe that you are already loved and to believe that you are already favored and to believe that you are already a revolutionary history maker. And we all should have shirts with our faces on it wearing red berets because that's who we are in the kingdom of God. And I can't wait that we, uh, till we embody these words, the words that say this, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for God has looked on the humble estate of each of us, God's beloved. And for behold, from now on, all generations will call us, every one of us without exception, blessed. And to that I say, amen and amen. Let's pray together. In this Christmas season, God, we are thankful for Mary. This Christmas season, God, we're thankful for Mary's courage. We're thankful for Mary's belief. We're thankful for Mary's strength. We're thankful for Mary being the, the history maker that we long to be. And God, we pray that you would give us the same courage, the same strength, the same fortitude to say yes when it's our time to be called. God, thank you for the grace that comes when we're afraid. Thank you for the grace that comes when we don't believe. God, thank you for the grace that comes through Jesus Christ, who we celebrate that coming this Christmas season. So God, we give you thanks and we give you praise for the fact that we are already worthy. We pray all this in your name. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.